Pause, pause, pause. Sir, sir, that's right. Keep your mouth open. Okay. That sounded a little dirty. Well, I mean, that's how I meant it. <laughs> now you may continue. Welcome to Three Idiots and a Lawyer. Matt Pfeiffer along with Joe Shell and Colin Lerner. It is episode 83, believe it or not. And everybody's on the mend after Colin was sick last week. I had COVID last week. Joe was just normal last week. So congrats, Joe. You win a star. I'm recovering congrats. from being pathologically normal. <laughs> congrats, congrats on not getting COVID like the rest of us. That you know of. That's true. It's very true. That's true. All right. But so there was some good news in the last two weeks since we last talked because something that we have been hammering for a year and said that we wanted actually happened in a year where so much has gone wrong for Syracuse athletics. Felicia Leggett-Jack was announced as the new head basketball coach for Syracuse women's basketball. This is the person we wanted a year ago. And she openly said while she was the head coach at Buffalo, she wanted the job. They decided not to bring her on last year. We all saw how the women's basketball season went. She is a fantastic pick. She is a Syracuse alum. She's got 1,526 points. That's the fifth most in school history. 927 rebounds. Third in school history. She was the 1985 Big East Rookie of the Year. Three-time All-Big East. Uh, She's the first woman to have her number hanging from the rafters of the Dome. That was uh, an announcement this year, and she was present for it. And she's coming from a very successful tenure at Buffalo. Uh, she, uh, from 2012 to 2022, uh, led Buffalo to a 111, uh, a 201 and 114 record, 111 and 68 in the MAC, four NCAA tournament appearances, including this year where they got to the first round. They made it to the Sweet 16 in 2017-18. Uh, she also won the MAC championship in 2018 and finished never worse than fourth in the MAC. Uh, so very successful tenure there. Uh, she'd also previously been at Hofstra in Indiana. And this is just a, a, a big get. It's the one we wanted. She knows how to recruit upstate New York. She's done a really solid job at Buffalo. I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about this hire. Yeah, it really, it, it was a no-brainer. Like you said, we've been hammering on this. Even on our last episode, we were calling for this to happen. It just seemed like it was destined to happen because how often do you have a coach publicly advocating for a job that has just opened up, that they haven't been offered, they haven't been in it, that just says like, yes, I would like to have that job. How often do you see that? And then when you Very mix rare. in the fact that she's an alum and Syracuse as an institution loves to hire alums as coaches. We have a long track record in many, many sports for doing so. And the fact that Matt, that you touched on that she already has a track record of success in the region. It, it's just yeah. a no brainer. It's, it's a plus all around. Even if it doesn't work out, this is the right move right now. Yeah. Yeah. I um, have laughed many, many, many times that we started a Syracuse podcast during one of the, probably the lowest point in Syracuse sports in everything. Like, I mean, at least in my lifetime that I can recall. Um, 
And it's nice that we finally did something right. Uh, I mean, it's very apropos to being a Syracuse fan that we messed it up the first time. And then we had to, you know, get it right the second time. But listen, we we, we got there in the end, which is what matters. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you guys both covered it very well. It's the right hire. Um, it's really kind of the only hire that could be made. Um, so good on them for getting it right. Um, the only thing I will say is uh, to, which I think, I mean, I'm not saying that we are, but I think Syracuse Nation in general should tamper expectations. Very similar to the Gary Gate thing right like everyone's like he's the right he's coming in he's going to be the savior and not to i mean not to kind of segue us into you know more sadness but you know just you know i mean she's a wonderful coach i'm sure she's going to be great i'm sure it's going to be here for many many years and do many great things but you know let's all go into it saying you know give her a few years to get her feet you know the main difference between this and the men's lacrosse program is that she's literally literally starting from scratch like she has nothing no hardly i don't think there's any high school players currently slated to enter syracuse women's program in the next class and we just had another round of defections through the transfer portal so she's already brought in a couple girls from suny buffalo so that's a good start bring in a couple of her players that she knows and you know we got to start building back from the ground up because I wonder if they're going to be the only ones coming in from Buffalo. We might just have Buffalo's roster. Yeah, I mean, like, we might have to because I think there's only a couple girls staying from last year, and now you bring a couple in. Maybe now that there's a coach and a good coach that seems to be a good recruiter, maybe they could bring in some late grabs out of the, you know, some high school seniors for next year. But she's really starting from scratch, so we, we do have to be patient. You know, we had a good thing going, and it turns out, that a monster was the one orchestrating the good thing that was going. So now we got to start over and hopefully do it the right way this time. Well, I think the the key is uh, it's like I said before this season with the men's lacrosse, it's going to be baby steps, I think. And, and in this case, I, I think people are going to accept that maybe a little more than they would with lacrosse. Can they get a winning season, right? Like just step one, try to get at least to a 500 record, maybe a game or two over. And then slowly make your way back. You know, make the WNIT, then try to make it into the NCAA tournament. And I think I think they can bounce back. I think now that you have a person in place that you know hopefully will be a long-term solution, or at least that's how you get to sell it to the recruits, that you might start getting those recruits in. Might be a little late for this year, but next year, you know, hopefully it, it bounces back a bit. They're going to need bodies. So even if it's not like to the caliber that you, you you need some bodies, I'm sure she'll try to scoop in and get some like dimed in the rough players late in the high school recruiting process. While while we're on the topic of women's basketball, Matt, did you have more about the women, our women's program? I was just going to mention the two players that she's bringing in. So there's Sonia Wilson, six foot tall forward from Rochester. She was a three-star recruit from uh, by ESPN hoop girls. Um, she was the number eighteen forward in her class. Um, now she only Wait, played. Uh, hold on, hold on, Matt. I'm the. I'm sorry. Can we back up fifteen seconds? Is that called ESPN Hoop Girls? Hoop Girls. Yeah. That is the best name they can come up with. ESPN Hoop Girls. Yes. Really. With a Z. That's haven't insane. You, haven't you been watching the coverage on ESPN Hoop Dudes all year? That's that's. I'm sorry. That's. <laughs> that, I'm sorry. That's okay. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So okay. that's what they that's what they sure. call the okay. yep. women's basketball yep. recruiting. Okay. Okay. Anyway, uh, so uh, but Wilson she played in twelve games, so she missed the first part of the season. Um, so she had fifty points. 
She was averaging 3.6 a game. Obviously, she started a little late, so you can't be too tough on her on that one. Um, she's a rising sophomore, so you're going to have plenty. Uh, you know, should be able to use you know use her throughout the you know couple of years. And then you have Georgia Woolley, six foot tall uh, tall guard from Brisbane. Uh, she was top 20 in her class. Uh, she was the MAC freshman of the year. So that's a positive. She averaged 14 and a half points a game, 4.6 rebounds, 1.9 assists in 34 games, started in 24 of those, scored 20 or more points 16 times. She was in double figures 26 times and had a career high of 30 points versus Eastern Michigan. So this is that's a good start. I mean that's that's a that's a good player. So those are two good players right away that she's brought with her now how do they play against ACC competition it's going to be very different from the Mac we'll see but you know I mean starting with an average of 14 and a half points a game that's a pretty good start I'd say yeah absolutely we have a good track record of Australian basketball players in our program so let's hope that can keep keep going yeah yeah Uh, now Joe you were going to bring up something and I is it have to do with a former Syracuse player winning a national title um in a way, yes, that was part of it. So I guess we'll start with that by congratulate, congratulating Camila Cardoso for winning a championship at her new destination. Uh, her role was obviously more limited uh, for South Carolina than it was for us, but she went, she played, she was a contributor, and she won a national championship. Her role is interesting because their their best player, Boston, is, is a big. So she kind of fills in here and there. Some games she comes in, she you know, plays a good 10, 15 minutes and scores a little and rebounds like crazy. In some games, she doesn't really play much, but hard to complain with the decision that she made going and in, in winning, a you know, playing a role in winning a national championship. So congratulations to her. But the player I really wanted to recognize was Emily Angstler at Louisville, who really had a fantastic tournament. Every game, I'd, I would check to see how she did. And it seemed like she had a near triple-double every single game. She was scoring 15, 20 points, 7, 8 rebounds, 6, 7 assists, 4, 5 steals. Was, she was just stuffing the stat she was Fantastic all-around player. She was always one of my favorites, and I'm glad to have seen her have some postseason success at her transfer destination as well. Well, we're on the topic. Um, I don't know if you guys covered this last week or not. Um how did Quincy and Kadari end their seasons? That is try. a good question, and I, I don't know. Kadari ended the year. I don't know his numbers or his stats, however they yeah. shook out. I know he ended the year as their starting point guard and was playing well. Okay. Um, I'm just Quincy, I'm just curious. I have no idea. You know how last year, or I should say two years ago, when Quincy was a decent three-point shooter, and we were like, <laughs> all right, that's cool, but like, don't fall in love with that. He fell in love with it, and at Oregon, he was pretty much a bad three-point shooter. He took a lot of three-pointers, and I think he shot like 20-something percent from three. So. Well, I mean, that was that why he transferred, step, was to, to shoot threes, so yeah, that next there you step go. We, we wanted, that we were looking for, of him like kind of getting his post-game going and using his strength and athleticism, no, he really just kind of tried to stay a perimeter player and didn't do so well. You know what that is? That is somebody who has the wrong person in their ear. Somebody who's saying you have to shoot threes to make it to the NBA, not yeah. you have to be a fantastic post player. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, just curious. I'm sorry, Matt. You can get back on track. Oh, that's all right. Well, let's um let's roll into men's basketball because Judah Mintz, 
committed to Syracuse. He's our highest recruit uh, for the upcoming class, number 35 in the ESPN Top 50. Six foot three, 165 pound guard from Oak Hill Academy. Four stars. This is a guy that I know Joe talked about, I think, last episode. He picked Syracuse over a lot of offers. NC State, Wake, Pitt, LSU, Florida, Maryland, Virginia Tech, Xavier, Tennessee, Penn State, Georgetown, DePaul, George Mason, among them. This is a big get for Syracuse. This is they needed somebody to make a splash, and this is uh, this is what we were looking for. I, I don't know, Joe, if you have any more insights into him. I was trying to find some of his stats. It was kind of hard to find, but I know there's reason to be excited. Yeah, there there certainly is. You know, we were already a, a top thirty recruiting class uh, in the country by most of the services, and. This kid is instantly the highest ranked recruit in our class by a long shot. Previously, it was Chris Bunch who just barely cracked into the top 100 of recruits. And Judah is around number 35. So now we have a you know top 50 player. He's a high four-star recruit. He's that athletic combo guard that we kind of always recruit and force to play point guard. So okay. I think the, the, the guy who's going to get bumped the most for this was Simon Torrance, who there were a lot of calls, including from us that the keys to the point guard position should be his to start next year. That's probably not the case. I think based on what we've heard Bayheim say thus far in the off season, he knows that Joe Girard needs to play off ball to be as successful as possible. So that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to do whatever it takes to play Girard off ball. So we'll still see a lot of Torrance, but my guess right now on day one, having had this kid not play a second of basketball or a second of practice for us is he'll probably be the point guard to start the season. And if he comes in and makes some boneheaded mistakes, then you'll see Beheim do his thing where he'll pull him right away and put a more experienced player in. But I think he'll get the starts. He's athletic. He's not much of a jump shooter right now, but he can get to the basket and he can score. So yeah. that's, you know, something that we were missing last year and that we really needed. And, and that's why we were advocating for Samir Torrance to get more minutes because that was what he was good at. So if the kid can come in, just run the offense, distribute the ball a little bit and, and slash and score, then that could be a successful freshman season. And, and this is what we've been clamoring for. We need size at the top of the zone again. And Matt, you said he's what, 6'3", 6'4"? He's 6'3". So he's got the size we need. He's athletic and and he can score. He's not just a one-dimensional jump shooter. So, so far on paper, it's a good get. And obviously we've seen recruits not work out, but there's some reason to be optimistic and excited at at this point in the year. And I think we're entitled to just be positive right now. (laughs) I agree. Absolutely. And it's 15 class now. It bumped us to a top 15 class in the country, which is what we've been asking for. We, we're never consistently better than that. That's always the ballpark we were in when we were a successful program. And we're top, uh, the, I believe, the fourth ranked recruiting class in the ACC now. So that's good. Talent and- on paper is putting us where we want to be. So now no more excuses. We got to see this talent get cultivated into something successful. Now the question, is this Bayheim's last class? Hmm. One never that, knows. Is this his last class that will graduate with him as the coach? <laughs> well, well, good question. That's a good point. Good point. Well, let's take a look at lacrosse. Since we last talked two weeks ago, we've had an extreme high and an extreme low. The extreme high is Syracuse went out and beat Duke, 
who was the 10th ranked team in the country, 14 to 10 uh, in what was just a fantastic game. Tucker Dordovic had five goals and two assists. Owen Siebold had two goals. Brennan Curry had two goals. Mikey Berkman and Matty Okorsi each had two goals. It was just a great game. And you had just about the most amazing lacrosse play a lot of people have seen, at least certainly in a long time. Tucker Dordovic between the legs into the goal. I mean, just awesome. I know, uh, Joe, you were, you were raving about that play. It was wild. Like, and, and you have to give credit to, uh, I, I feel bad. I'm blanking on his name, but the defender on the other end of the field mm-hmm. caused turnover. And then one man clear with, with the long pole, he just took it and he, he put his foot on the gas and he got it right down to the other end, flipped it to Tucker and, it wasn't a bad pass, but the pass didn't put Tucker in the best position to have an easy look at the goal, and he just took it and was creative and bigger than than how awesome the play was, which was incredible. That play is up there with a lot of the you know the Gary Gate highlight reel plays. It, it was that good. In fact, but, there was a Gary Gate play. I saw they did the compare almost the same yeah, play, yeah. and yeah. and I think Tucker's was a little more impressive than the one they were comparing it to. The difference is that Gary Gates got reels of dozens of those plays wow. and this was the high of yeah we're comparing a very good lacrosse player to the best of all time i know right they had but, to literally change the rules for gary gate <laughs> but what was what was bigger than that to me was the the way it changed the game itself we we got out to a big lead early and then duke was slowly crawling back in next thing you know now it's halfway through the fourth quarter we're only up one duke has the ball they have all the momentum if they score, the game's tied, and we probably end up losing that game. Yeah. But the turnover on defense, the clear, the flip to Tucker, and that goal to put the deficit for Duke back to two and instantaneously swing all the momentum back in our favor. I think if Syracuse were able to put together a winning effort against Notre Dame, I think that... Tucker Dordovic's goal would potentially be looked at as a season-saving play and possibly a program-altering play. But unfortunately, as we know now, that that wasn't able to uh, materialize. It could not have been farther from the case. Yeah, so <laughs> to catch up to what happened this past week, uh, Saturday, Syracuse went to South Bend to play Notre Dame. Syracuse was ranked after being unranked with the Duke win. And... Uh, Played a Notre Dame team that was actually higher ranked but had a losing record. Notre Dame was having trouble against good teams. Uh, they did not have trouble on Saturday. Notre Dame was up 9 nothing at the end of the first quarter. The first quarter. It was 10 nothing at one point. At the end, Notre Dame won 22-6. Just a stunning snap back to... I guess reality after it's the worst, it's the the worst loss in 45 years. Yeah. After yeah. the high of the Duke win, you said, Oh, this is, we can build on this. I mean, it wasn't even a competitive game. Uh, just an absolute embarrassment. Uh, Tucker Dordovic had two goals. Uh, Brendan Curry, Owen Seabold, uh, a couple others had one goal, but what a mess that game matter. was. Saturday. It doesn't matter. It, yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter what their stats were. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess Joe, you you took the um, happiness, so I'll take the, the sadness here. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, I mean, there's honestly, man, but there's, there's really there's not much to say. I will I will tell you a stat that I heard, which is the most unbelievable stat I've ever heard about lacrosse ever. 
which is Jake Taylor, who had eight goals in this game. Eight. Eight. Eight goals in this game in his sixth career game. Eight goals in his sixth. He had more goals than games played for Notre Dame. More goals than games played. That that's I mean it's I mean would like what do you say two. about that? He had two coming into the game. He was yeah. a hardly a contributor on that team. Yeah, it's uh, I mean I don't know what to say. Um, I mean they they have mentioned a few times, um, you know about the team getting in late or whatever it is. I don't know. I don't want any excuses. Um, it was it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It should be embarrassing for everybody on that team. I can't even break down like the highlights or whatever it is or like why it went bad. Like we just didn't play defense. We played no defense. Bobby Gavin stopped two of what eleven shots in the first half. And it was, it was again, we had forgotten, you know, we forgot how to play uh lacrosse for a bit. And it is I mean, Matt, you you said at the start of this, was it a snapback to reality? I guess so. You know, I mean you are what your record says you are, and we're have a losing record, so that is I guess what we are. And I guess the the only reason I could see for why we seem to not have really kind of any grit or any fight back or like when we get down, I mean, with the Duke game aside, when we get down where like it's almost certain to lose, it's kind of like our basketball team this year. The only reason I can think of is that if you are a Syracuse lacrosse recruit, you have never lost in your life. You have been the best at lacrosse forever. I, I, I'm sure if you tally up everyone on that team, they have less than 10 losses combined. They were all, I'm sure, 17 and 0 in high school, right? And then you go, and all of a sudden you're facing adversity, and they don't know how to deal with that. And it's the first time in their lives that they've ever not been the best while playing the cross. And I guess that's the only reason that at least I can come up with. But I mean, Joe, maybe you have a better one, but they're just simply not doing the fundamentals at a level where they should be. I have a few thoughts. First of all, sure, the the travel snafu was unfortunate, but that's like. That's an excuse if you run out of gas at the end of a close yeah. game and you can't close a game out. Then it's like, oh, they got in late. They, they, they gave it a good fight. Like, no. That's not a reason to not play whistle to whistle, not play an ounce of lacrosse. They talked about it a little bit on the broadcast, and I kind of agree with that. First of all, I love Paul Carcaterra. Any game he he's calls, so good. He's, he's so really good. he's so great. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. he's the biggest reason I know Jack about lacrosse is watching him and Anish Shroff call lacrosse games. Yeah. They're just great, and not 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 that I'm biased to those two particular people, but uh, they they do a very good job, and I love when Syracuse alum Anish Shroff. <laughs> I love when they're teamed up, and uh, Anish is is great. Uh, he's a he's a bad softball player though, so. <laughs> Um, he, he booted me from the starting lineup from a Syracuse alumni game one time, and uh, he he wasn't good. But I got my spot back. It was come weird. on, Anish. We were in DC, and he was calling a, a Hopkins game that evening, so he popped down to DC because he knew who ran our team, and he just got inserted into the lineup because they were friends, and I, <laughs> I got bumped out of it. But nicest guy, and nicest guy in the world. Uh, he's really really cool to meet him, but what they were talking about during the broadcast was that when you're not a very good team and it takes every ounce of what you have to offer to win a game like the game at Duke, then when you come out, it's not that you come out flat because you're like, oh, we're good now. It's you gave everything you had to win that Duke game the way you did. And there wasn't enough left in the tank. They're not good enough of a team to give that effort week in and week out. Not, not, 
I don't want to say effort because I don't think it's that they weren't trying. I just think right. what the energy that it took for them to play that well and win that Duke game drained them and they didn't have enough left in the tank to play another game that well and win. Yeah. So they were, they were tapped. And I think that was it. Probably a big part of it. And then I talked about this a, 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 you know, a month or so ago where I just think the fact that the core of this team has been together for at least three or four years and the core of this team has seen the team have no postseason success and have more and more dwindling of their regular season success pretty much every season they've been on campus. They've gotten worse and worse and worse. They got John Desco, a legend in college lacrosse, fired. And now they are not shaping back into form when another legend of the sport is your head coach. And now they're letting him down in a way. So I think the pressure of being the core that has seen what is probably going to be the biggest downturn in program history is a lot of pressure to try to play under. And that's the only reason I can come up with for seeing the stiff play at times, almost like they panic. Like, not even like a difficult pass to like try to create something on offense, just passing around the perimeter of the offense, just biding your time, dropping those passes or just missing those passes, just lollipop passes that are just, oops, bounced off my stick, whoop, out of bounds. I've never seen a Division One lacrosse team do that so much. No. The, the fundamentals just aren't there, and it's not that they don't know them. I would never say it's not that they don't practice. I'm guaranteeing that, you know, Gary Gate would lose his mind if people were dropping balls like that in, in practice. So my mind jumps to that, the fact that I just think the pressure of what's happening to the program is too much for this core that's been together for, if you're Tucker Dordovic, you're Brendan Curry, that's a lot of pressure to play under and so i what i had said a few months ago was maybe this turnaround can't happen until there's some fresh blood who don't have that hanging over their head i think it's it's very easy and i am front and center in this to forget that these are kids they're 19 20 years old i think joe you have a very good point like i mean i mean who knows what the actual reason is but i i do think that it is definitely a mental thing it's definitely not not a talent thing they are talented enough it's simply the the pressure is getting to them and they are you know I, again I, I think that they're kids and that you know you're right they're letting it get to them I think ultimately everything is going to work out it's just not going to be this year I think yeah. Gary Gay I mean they they have a really good recruiting class lined up if I'm number right. one yeah so right uh yeah this strikes me as kind of this and I think it's going to work out but it, it's kind of this thing what is Syracuse going to be as lacrosse expands Right, because lacrosse is getting more popular. It's it you know there's more schools that play it and play it well now than used to, and it becomes this: Is Syracuse going to still be a power going forward? Or are they going to be no what Notre Dame is in football now? Notre Dame's good, but they're not what they were. Right, mm-hmm. they're not winning titles all the time like they did once upon a time. I think they can get back to being you know what they were uh, and. I guess it's like Alabama. Alabama was good once upon a time too, and they're still good now. Notre Dame was really good at one era and has fallen off, right? To put it in football terms, but 
Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, like you said, they they need an influx of talent, and you, it's the next year is the number one recruiting class coming in with the number one overall recruit as the head of that class, and you get Owen Hiltz back next year, who was the number one or number two recruit the previous class. So now you're gonna essentially getting two guys who are top overall recruits joining your team next year. So you're, yeah. you're getting an influx of elite, elite talent and kids who can play right away on one of the, one of the earlier games at the beginning of the year, I think it was the first, the, the Maryland game. Mm-hmm. This was Paul Carcaterra again, his broadcast partner asked him, what does Syracuse have to do to, to turn this thing around? And he was talking about that game, but Paul Carcaterra's answer was uh, recruit. So we just, we need players. We need, and it's like Colin said, like this is a talented group. This group of kids on paper has the talent to win a national championship, but clearly for whatever reason, that's not working out with this particular group. So with a new influx of of highly touted recruits, hopefully we start building the, the base of players that we need to get the program where we want it to be. Right. Well, let's flip over to football. Because this past Friday night was the AmeriQ Credit Union Orange and Blue game. See, this is my attempt to get us some sponsorship. Throwing in that, uh, throwing in that AmeriQ in there. No, uh, that was the name of the game. But uh, I think all three of us watched this. Uh, it was the first time the game was ever broadcast on live, or at least Joe and I watched it. No, yeah, no. Listen, I had I had nothing if better you to do. Told me I that sat I down know. and watched the Blue and Orange game. Yep. If you yeah. told me I was going to watch the Syracuse spring game beginning to end and yeah. not have a terrible time, I never would have believed you because <laughs> whatever it is that we have called the spring game over the years has just been the most boring scrimmage ever. And so for them to actually put together a competitive football game was yeah. was good. It was good. It was good to see because you know it, you still grains of salt with every observation, but at least there are some observations to be had. Exactly, and is the first time the game was ever on live television. It was on the ACC network. I'd be willing to bet you could probably go. F- I, I'm sure they'll replay it at some point because how much more programming are they possibly going to have at this point of the year? And, uh, and you can also see the highlights. We retweeted the highlights on our uh, 3IL pod Twitter. But uh, it was a full contact game. You did not have the quarterbacks wearing red jerseys. Garrett Schrader had tweaked his hamstring, so he did not play. Sean Tucker was not playing just to protect him. But Good. we got to Good. see – Yeah. yeah smart. We got to see Justin Lamson, uh, who clearly set himself as the backup. Uh, the fact that he was the starting quarterback, I think, indicated he was the backup. And he played really well. Uh, he was 7 of 10, 151 yards. He threw two touchdowns, a 75-yarder to Damian Alford and a 35-yarder to Amari Hatcher. And uh, we saw an air-it-out offense where they were throwing the ball pretty constantly. Even the second and third team quarterbacks for this game uh, we're throwing a lot and having success throwing the ball. I would like to point out that our starting defense didn't give up a point either, which is a positive note. Uh, they were playing against the second-team offense. Uh, you saw Dan Valeri for the first time, the Michigan transfer. He was okay. I think he's kind of what I expected. Nothing flashy, nothing crazy. 
Um, he might slot himself in as that number three spot. Uh, I did want to point out, though, we had uh, Jawan Price had six carries for 64 yards. And the freshman, LaQuint Allen, who was the New Jersey Gator, uh, Gatorade Player of the Year last year in high school, had a 41-yard touchdown run. And he looked very good. So, you know, I, I think there was a lot of positives to see in that game. Jihad Carter had an interception. That was nice to see. Uh, we saw Deuce Chestnut getting in there and making some good plays on defense as well. The linebacking core looked real solid. Overall, I think there's there's a lot of reasons to walk away from the orange and blue game and actually be positive. And I think even the broadcasters were, I don't know if they expected to be positive, but the broadcasters were pretty positive with what they saw as well. I mean, I, I think it's, I'm sorry, Joe, but I, I, was, no, I, I, I think it's hard to be negative with this. I mean, like, either your offense is bad and you're like, wow, our defense looks great, or your defense looks terrible and you're like, wow, our offense looks great, right? Or they both play decently well, which is kind of what happened, right? Um, I don't think there's a ton to take away from this other than without even watching him play, I I don't want Garrett Schrader to be the quarterback of this team. I just, I'm so tired of not being able to complete a pass over 15 yards and Justin Lamson so clearly has the better arm. I mean, like, I think anybody could see that. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not a fool. Uh, I know that that's not how this is going to run. Garrett Schrader's going to get every opportunity and the second and a third opportunity to prove that he can be the quarterback of this team. But, yeah, I mean, overall, all all good things. Although I wasn't too impressed with our punter. But that's just, you know, a story for another day. Martin Von Marburg. James Williams actually had a solid punt. Yes, he's the yeah. guy who was, he who did was have hot one. trash last year. Yeah, um, yes, I it do was have nice to see him kick it over twenty yards. My favorite hometown now is uh, our one of our a freshman punter, uh, Martin von von Marburg from Wagga Wagga, New South Wales, Australia. I mean, I'm going to be looking for any opportunity to get Wagga Wagga into the podcast in the fall. Just warning to all. I've been to New <laughs> South Wales in Australia. I'm not, I don't know if I was. I'd, don't think I was in Wagga Wagga um, unless I drove through it. But I've been in New South Wales. It's a fantastic place. I saw a, a rugby match there. And only ate a, really, ate a really good hot dog. Only that's awesome. Yeah. Only Australia has town names like that, and it's amazing. And I I cannot wait to go to Australia at some point. Women's lacrosse is ranked fourth in the country, so they're giving us something to be happy about. Ten and two, five and zero in the ACC. Uh, on Tuesday, the 29th, last week, they beat sixth-ranked uh, Loyola, 14-13. to Emma Terrell had four goals and three assists. Uh, Emily Howichuk had three goals and assists. Megan Terrell had two goals and assists. Really solid game. And then on Saturday, they beat Pitt, 18-6. to Megan Terrell, six goals and two assists in that one. Yeah, I mean, just a... a Really fantastic season they're putting together. Uh, this was the team that got to the national title game last year, and right now they look right on schedule to potentially make another deep run in May, and uh, that's very exciting. Uh, yeah. Again, and I, I say it over and over, this women's lacrosse team has done everything there is to do except the national title victory. They've gotten to the title game. They always get tripped up right at the end, and I just – I gotta feel that one of these years it's gotta happen. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, we've we've done everything except actually summit the mountain. So, I mean, opportunity is there. So, I mean, you know, there's something to be said for being either in the final four or in the championship game every year. So, I would tend to think that it's coming sooner rather than later. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember watching the uh, U.S. women's hockey team face Canada, and they had the uh, Lamaru twins. And it was just like, more Lamaru, more Lamaru, more, more, more. And I feel like it's now the same with the... Tyrell's, Terrell right? sisters. More right. Tyrells. Give me more Tyrell, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, Cisco in a game is is amazing. It's great. It's you know, it's it's almost Jake Taylor numbers. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. It's listen. Um, again, in a, a down year for many sports, you can always count on the women's lacrosse team to you know bring you back up. So good on them, and uh, hopefully the season ends where it should be in a, in a championship. Absolutely. Well, that's all we have for this week. Kind of a short week, but uh, we hope you're enjoying your spring. We'll be back next week to hopefully have more positive thoughts on maybe we'll have positive thoughts on the men's lacrosse team. I doubt uh, it, but we'll see. But they play Thursday at Albany, so we will we'll see what they do. That is their last unranked opponent of the season. So I mean, unranked, but still good. But Every still, you know, I mean, as we talked about a couple of times, if you feel to the cross team, you are a good program. Albany is a solid program, so we'll see. Yeah, and they have beaten Syracuse relatively recently, so we'll see. If you have the 1990 NCAA Lacrosse Trophy, let us know. We just want to know that it's safe. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at 3ILPod. Like us on Facebook, 3 Idiots and a Lawyer. Give us those stars wherever you're listening to us. We just want to know that you're enjoying the show. Tell your friends. Until next time, for Joe Shell, Colin Lerner, I'm Matt Pfeiffer. We'll see you next time.